The following message is recorded at City Light Church in Vicksburg, Mississippi. City Light Church exists to shine the light of Christ in our city and world through the transformed lives of His people. For more information on the church and its ministries, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org. John chapter 8, verses 39 through 47. These are God's words. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. You have one father, even God. Jesus, we have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, or because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. These are God's words. How y'all doing? Amen. Good. Good to see y'all. Uh, I want to I wanna just unpack a little bit this text as a start back into our series. So if you've been with us for a while, you know that we've been working through the Gospel of John. Um, we actually took a break around the holiday season, and we spent um, a number of weeks preaching through uh, what the season of Christmas, what Advent season means to us as a church, and we think that's important for us to unpack, and so we spent some time doing that, and then at the beginning of the year, I spent five weeks unpacking uh, what a series that we basically titled Love Your Neighbor, and what, what is involved in loving your neighbor? What does that look like? Who is your neighbor? And what are all the components to loving your neighbor well? And so we spent five weeks unpacking that. And this week, we, we begin back into a expositional series that we will probably spend a number of months working through. Uh, we've already spent a number of months prior to December working through, and we will spend a number of months now can, uh, bringing that uh, series to a close um, unless we stop again for a brief moment here or there. But nevertheless, this is a very strong text to open back or to, 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 to bring our series back to us. Um, this is a very strong text to talk through because um, I know it, you couldn't help but miss that Jesus uh, actually spends some time calling people children of the devil, right? And, and, and normally you reserve that for uh, Exodus, right? I mean, not Exodus, but exorcisms, right? And, 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 and that type of thing. You reserve that for Ouija board, demon-possessed people. You normally don't shout out children of the devil to people that are kind of 
seems to be regular, you know, seem to be regular people, seem to be normal people. Uh, for Pete's sake, they seem to even be church-going people. And, and, and Jesus is saying, children of the devil. So that's a very strong way for us to open this, uh, open this John series back up. But I think we can learn some things um, over the next couple of weeks that will serve us as we think about why Jesus is saying this, all right? Um, so, so I'm going to spend two weeks on this passage. If you notice that on the screens it says John chapter 8, verses 39 through 59. And the reason it says that is because I'm going to spend two weeks unpacking these next 20 verses, all right? This first week I'm going to spend unpacking what what does this text have to do with who we are? And then the next week, I'm going to spend unpacking what does this text have to do with who God is or who Jesus is, all right? So this week, we're going to talk about what this text is saying about us. Who are we, all right? There's a quote that John Calvin gives in the Institutes of Christian, uh, in the Institutes of Christian Religion where he says, man never attains to a true self-knowledge until he has previously contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look into himself. Man never attains a true self-knowledge until he has previously contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look after or to look at himself. In other words, man never really knows who he is until he's had an opportunity to see who God is. Does that make sense? And that's actually backwards in the way our culture works. Our culture looks to themselves first in order to understand who God is. You hear it all the time. You hear people talk about, hey, I got a, I have a, I have a relationship with God for myself. Does that make sense? And so I don't really need to, to look to any book or I don't really need to hear from anything. I don't need to look into any ancient text. Me and God have a relationship that we understand one another. Does that make sense? And the question that always comes to mind for me is who told you that? Who told you that? How do you, how do you know that? What, what grounds are you basing this relationship between you and God? And the answer is, most of the time, well, it's just what I think. But, I mean, you, all, you, all, you also think a lot of things that you get wrong, don't you? Does that make sense? You, for example, you, you, you think that, that the villain at the end of the movie, or you think that the villain in the movie is one person, and then you get to the end of the movie, you're like, oh, I didn't realize it. Man, they tricked me. I didn't even know all this time that it was Poochie, right? I thought all of this time that it was Bobby. And look, Poochie was the one that was killing everybody. How did they get me? So, so you, you, you also think that you're going to like a slice of pizza until you try the slice of pizza and then you find out, man, I don't like this Brussels sprouts, anchovy, you know, uh, salami pizza like I thought I did. I really thought I was going to like it when I looked at it. It smelled good, kind of looked good. Somebody told me it was good, but then I tasted it and I realized it wasn't that great. So, so you don't even, you're not even sure about the food you eat, right? You're not even sure about the conclusions to the movies you watch. But somehow or another, we've convinced ourselves in our culture that when it comes to the God of the universe, I don't need anybody to tell me anything about him. I'll just me and him, we got a good understanding with one another. We trust ourselves with that. We trust our own truth. But the scripture says that really, you don't look to yourself to find who God is. You look to God to find out who you are. Does that make sense? 
And so what we have is this interesting text where Jesus is, you know, really, really machine gunning these people with these words, children of the devil, and we're trying to find out why. Basically, he is showing them who they are, and the question that we have to ask is, how does he know who they are? How does Jesus know who they are? I mean, for example, these, these were the same people that if you read a few verses ahead, I mean, a few verses back in chapter 8, what you find is that these people actually, this same group, had started to believe a little bit in Jesus. They had started to hear some of his words, had started to see some of his works, and they had started to believe a little bit and said, hey, maybe this guy is legit. And so they go from believing to being on the opposite end of hearing the words, children of the devil. And you have to ask yourself, how does that happen? So in verse chapter, or, or verse 39 of chapter 8, it says, they answer, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. The first way that we come to learn who we are as we look to God is that we ask ourselves, who do we believe? Whose truth do we embrace? What works had Abraham did that they had not done? Jesus says, they say, we're the children of Abraham. How could you say that we have a different father? Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. So the question is, what works did Abraham do? Well, when Abraham heard from God concerning the covenant promise, and if you've been, re- if you've been following along at City Light, um, um, our City Light reading plan, that you, can, you can go to the website, citylightvicksburg.org slash reading plan, and we have a three-year Bible reading plan that we're, st- that we're working through together. Well, right now we're in Genesis. And so if, you're, if you've read Genesis, you know that early on in Genesis, Jesus or, or God makes a covenant with Abraham, and he says that, listen, through you, I am going to produce or I am going to bless the world, that the offspring that comes through you will be a blessing to the world, the offspring being Jesus Christ, and that you will be a father to many nations. And the Bible says that Abraham believed God when he said it, and that belief was counted to him as righteousness. And so the work of Abraham was faith. Trusting, not his own words, trusting not his own suspicions, right? Because at this time, Abraham was nearly 100 years old. And so not trusting his own suspicions when God says, I know you haven't had a child in 100 years, but you're about to have one. Your wife is about to have one who's about 90. She's about to have one, okay? And you guys are going to bless the world through that seed. He believed God. And his actions and his efforts and his work and his pursuit aligned with that belief. And so he trusted God. One of the men that, that God used mightily in the New Testament was a brother by the name of Paul. He used Paul to go out into all of the world preaching the gospel and establishing the church in different countries and cities. And, 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 and what Paul says about Abraham in Galatians chapter 3, as he's writing to this church in the, in, the, in the city of Galatia, he says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, listen to this. Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So, 
Abraham's children, according to Paul, are not simply people that come down from his natural bloodline, but Abraham's children, according to Paul and according to Jesus, are those who do the works of Abraham. In other words, they trust God when he speaks. Does it make sense? They trust God when he speaks. And what has Christ already spoken up till now in John chapter 8? Well, one thing he said is that there is a oneness between him and God, and that when you look at him, you see God the Father. That, that, that if you abide in him and you abide in the words that Jesus is speaking, then that will connect you back to the Father. And so what Jesus is saying is that if you were Abraham's children, then the truth that I've shared with you, you would believe. However, instead of embracing the words of Christ, they gathered around their own truth about God. They said, well, we know who God is, and we know what God is about, and we know what God would say, and we know his truth, at least as, as it relates, at least as we see it, right? And, and they consider that because they have a truth, that that is sufficient enough to establish a relationship with God. Does that sound familiar in this culture and in this day? You tracking with that? How many people do you know say that their truth is enough to connect them back to God? And Jesus says, no, it's not a truth that you have to believe. It's the truth that you must believe. It is the truth that makes you children of Abraham. It's the truth that makes you sons and daughters of God. In November of 2016, uh, Oxford Dictionaries published their word of the year. They have a word of the year that they share every single year. And it's a word that has the most significance that year. It's the word that has the most buzz surrounding it that year. In 2016, the word was post-truth. That was the word of the year. And it means relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion then appeals to emotion and personal belief. In other words, post-truth simply means, well, yeah, I know, I know what you see, two plus two equals four, but I kind of feel like it's five. So that's my truth. It's five. Does it make sense? And so that's where, the, that's where the continued thrust that you see more and more in our culture, fake news this, fake news that, fake news on the left, fake news on the right, right? And instead of simply saying, okay, let's just look at what the facts say and let's just make our determination, not based on our emotions, not based on our alliances, not based on our allegiances, not based on our personal preferences and how that might rock my boat if it's true or not true. Let's just take what looks real, what we see, what's clear, and what's objectively true, and let's just embrace it as truth. Does it make sense? We live in a day where that is no longer obvious. Now, you can have a truth, and you can have a truth, and you can have a truth. I feel like Oprah Winfrey, and you get a car, and you get a car, right? Everybody in this room can have their own truth, even though there really is only one. Now more than ever, you hear phrases like, I don't need a book to give me a relationship with God. I don't need to go to church to tell me about a relationship with God. But do you really trust yourself? I have to ask you again, do you trust yourself that much? Truth is like mathematics, right? Four plus four, plus four actually equals eight. Truth is like concrete. You see, either one of us is right or we're both wrong. 
But there's no such thing as you just being right with your truth and me being right with our, my truth. Unless, of course, we're talking about partial truths that you can combine together. And we don't, we don't look to ourselves in order to discover it. We look to God and, 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 and access it as he gives it. The Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias, the Christian evangelist Ravi Zacharias, had this to say about truth. He said, once we remove God and decide instead to play God, truth gives way to fiction. You hear that? Once we take God out of it and we start saying we're going we're gonna to do our own thing and we're going to pursue our own truth absent of what God says, then truth gives way to fiction. Jesus' point in this text is that you don't have relationship with God based on your embracing of your own truth about him. You establish relationship with God based on your embrace of the truth that he gives about himself to me. He, God the Father, has told you everything you need to know through me. And you gain relationship by embracing the truth that I give. That's one way that we learn who we are. Another way that we learn who we are is by asking ourselves, who do we love? Jesus says in verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. We know who we are based on who we actually love. Another of Jesus' apostles, one of the first 12 disciples, said this about Christ and said this about his love. 1 John chapter 5, it says, Everyone who believes that Jesus, Christ, Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. And loving God, we must understand that we cannot love God the Father while simultaneously not loving the one whom he sent on his behalf. Does that make sense? In order to love God the Father, you must love Jesus the Christ. It appears that what's going on in this text is that the motions of faith for these Jews are present, but the abundant love that gives our faith fuel and gives our actions fuel and gives the expressions of our faith, authenticity and, and honesty are absent. They're not there. They're not there. They're in the motion, but what gives the faith fuel and what gives the faith authenticity and realness is not present. Love for God causes us to embrace God at a depth that moves us past all the fickle and shallow expressions that sometimes religion can bring us. And it gets us, and some of those fickle and shallow expressions that gets us tangled in power grabs in churches, right? When we're looking for particular seats or political posturing in churches where, we're, where, where instead of us seeking God, we're seeking what will best position us for the next opportunity amongst, uh, amongst men or to gain favor amongst men or, 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 or the, the shallow kind of expressions that, that have us protecting our positions, and, for, and fighting for our security rather than pursuing the kingdom and his righteousness, reaching for the applause and the glory of man rather than reaching for God. Does that make sense? When our faith is fickle, when our faith is shallow and is absent of deep-rooted love in Jesus, then we end up just working through the emotion or working through the motions of faith with no real grounding in God. 
It shows up in the senseless bickering over seats at a church, right? Bickering over who's going to take what program in a church. Fighting over what positions are held in the church. It shows up in the lackadaisical faith that goes through the motions on a Sunday morning after a Sunday morning after a Sunday morning while thinking and focusing all the while on the real passions of our heart that the rest of the week will take. Does that make sense? Revelation chapter 2, verse 2 and 4 says that I know your works, I know your toil, I know your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. In other words, here's a church that Jesus says, listen, you guys seem to be going through the motions of faith correctly. You're testing false prophets, you're doing good things in your community, you're doing good works in your community. You got a great program going at your church, right? You're working, you're even working hard in the program in your church. And you're enduring in that program. Maybe that program has been going strong for 50 years. But he says this about them. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Religious gyrations absent of relational love. Does it make sense? Empty orthodoxy. In other words, you're practicing right. Your doctrine is good. But your life is void of true love for Christ. Here are a group of people that probably practice their faith way better than any of us in this room. And yet they're void of the love or they're void of love for the one that God, the Father, has sent to them. You know who you are by who you love. Does it make sense? You've seen marriage, right, but absent of passion. Does it make sense? People together, but not together. In the same room. In the same room, but yet worlds apart. Go to events together. Share money, share wealth together, share homes together, and yet could not be further apart. Two strangers in a house. Enemies in the same home, literally as they are sharing these resources, they are looking to destroy whatever the other is seeking to build, right? absent and void of genuine love and yet present in the same space. This happens all the time in the church. This is happening amongst these religious folk, is that even though they are present, even though they are going through the emotions or the motions of religion, they are absent of love needed to genuinely connect to God. We also know that we also understand who we are based on what makes sense to us. Verse 43 says, why do you understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You cannot bear to hear my word. Why is it that you do not understand what I have to say? He doesn't say that you don't understand what I have to say because it's unclear. You see that? He doesn't say that you don't understand what I have to say because it's too confusing for you. He says that you don't understand what I have to say because you cannot bear it. 
In other words, your understanding is clouded by your unwillingness to embrace it. Are you tracking with that? So what ends up happening a lot of times when we talk about, you know, who, who, who makes sense to us, what, what, what I mean by that is that there sometimes God will give us instruction in his word, right? And that instruction will not jive with our will. And so because that instruction will not jive with our will, our understanding will not wrap around it. We just will refuse to do it. We'll refuse to accept it. We'll we will refuse to embrace it. Does that make sense? Happens in your home with kids. Does that make sense? It's not that they don't understand some of the things. It's that it doesn't align with what they want to do. And so it becomes more and more difficult to embrace. Jesus says that here, God is speaking to you through me. God the Father is giving you what you need through me, but you refuse to embrace it. You refuse to understand it because it does not jive with your own will. You know who you are by who makes sense to you. Does that make sense? Even when there's times, right, when God says difficult things to us, you know who you are because you say... Well, listen, God, I don't really get that, but I'm me. You're God. And so when you, tell me this, when you tell me that if someone smites me on one cheek or slaps me, right, on one cheek for the uninitiated in, in biblical language, right, slaps me on one cheek and I offer them the other, okay, God, I don't get that. Don't get it at all. Doesn't make sense. But I don't say, well, I ain't doing that. Because, because of what? Because I have embraced God. And so because I've embraced God, I embrace his message even when, it lack, even when I lack the understanding to fully comprehend it. I say, okay, God, listen, you're God, I'm me. And so I accept it. When God, when, God, when God says to forgive seven times 70, I don't say, okay, because I don't understand that, that seems a little odd. Seems like once is enough, right? But because you're God and I'm me, I'm going to embrace that. But when God says that, 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 that in, order to, in, order to, in order to see me and in order to get to eternal life, in order to reach eternal life, that you must go through my son, right? I don't say, well, well, God, listen, I was just thinking that, you know, me and you kind of got this relationship on our own. You know, I talk to you every once in a while, and so I don't understand why I need Jesus. That should be good enough, right? No, instead we say, okay, I don't understand even all the dynamics of this. I understand my sin, but I don't see it as clear as I probably ought. I don't understand the full dynamics of this, but I trust your message because I'm me and you're, and you're you. Are you tracking with that? You embrace the message even when the message isn't quite as clear as you would hope because you're embracing him with the message. And unfortunately, this group of people aren't doing any, any of these things, even though they're probably very religious people. They're not walking in trust in God. They're not walking in love for God. 
And they're not walking to obey God, even when those things aren't necessarily the clearest and, and, and clearest things to understand. And so it's that reason that Jesus goes into verse 44 and he says, you are of your father, the devil. They don't believe the truth about God. They don't love Jesus whom God has sent. They don't pursue the will and word of God, but instead they pursue their own way. And so Jesus dismisses their claims that God is their father. He says, God isn't your father. This is, this is as sharp as a rebuke as you can get. Does that make sense? I mean, go try it when you go home, right? Just go try it. Randomly, just call somebody out. Son of a devil, you might get into a fight that night, right? Just go try it. This is a sharp rebuke. This is a harsh rebuke. But if all of the spiritual characteristics seem rooted in this spiritual DNA of a different family, then the only natural question that can follow is, could we be, in fact, a part of a different family? If all of the characteristics are aligning with somebody else, does that make sense? I mean, if, 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 if the son shows up, he has red hair. Nobody in my family has red hair, right? Big nose. Nobody in my family has big nose, right? Really, really tall. Everybody in my family's short. I'm going to start looking at Candy like, hey, what's going on? What, what happened here? Does that make sense? So all the spiritual characteristics are shaping up to be a part of a different family. So the question has to be asked, could you, in fact, be a part of a different family, regardless of what you believe? Jesus says, your will is to do your father's desires. So your will is not to do God's desires because had it been, you would have embraced me. And like the other disciples who are now with me, you would be following me. So in your will, you imitate your father. Jesus also says that he was a murderer from the beginning. You're seeking to murder and kill me. You're seeking to wipe out any possibility for me to lay claim on your life and any possibility for the truth that I possess to permeate your life or to move through your life. Jesus says, remember that, remember that when we talk about murder, we're talking about hatred. John says that anyone that hates is a murderer. And so it's obvious then that anyone that murders is a hater. Does that make sense? And so therefore, hatred is following this group instead of love. So they're absent of love. They're absent of the embrace of truth. And then the third thing that he says is that they don't stand for truth because there is no truth in them. Or there is no truth in Satan. Rather, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so when we demonstrate an allegiance to the lies that the culture tells us, the lies that we tell ourselves, the lies that Satan tells us, we reflect the character of Satan, the father of lies. And don't, don't get me wrong, some lies sound really, 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 really good. Find your truth. Speak your truth. Yeah, yeah, find my truth. I don't, what, what truth? There's no such thing as the truth. It's just my truth. Whatever my truth is, that's what I need to pursue. Sounds good, right? Everybody's road to God is just as valid as another. Yeah, that's right. If I just, if I just go my own way to God, I'll get there eventually. Or maybe you have one life to live, so, so live it the way you want to live it. That's right. I, ain't, I only got one. 
lie, lie, and lie. And then the, the one that tops them all, Christ is only one way of many ways to God. You don't have to go through him to get to God. Those lies are a characteristic of the father of lies. And he tells the sweetest ones to us. And so in denouncing Christ, I am in fact embracing Satan. That's what Jesus is telling this group. That's a crazy thought to think, right? Because because some of you might be saying, hey, wait, wait a second now, wait a second. I might not be rocking with Jesus, but that doesn't mean I'm rocking with the devil. That's a little harsh, right? I just said I, I just said I, you know, not feeling the Jesus thing. Didn't say I was a Satan worshiper. This is what a spoken word artist by the name of Ezekiel said once. He he. This is a masterpiece of a spoken word, by the way. He tries to imagine the devil sending a personal message to humanity. So he's sending this message to us, and this is what he says. He says, see, you don't even have to worship me because I am the only being that you can make your God without even being aware of it. So by default, he continues, I win. If you're not in him, it's not even a contest because when you don't serve the God that's right, I'm the only God that's left. You tracking with that? See, see, in all of these choices that we have in this world, what Jesus is doing is he's reducing them. And he's saying the reality is, is that you think you have an abundance of choices, but there's only one. Well, two, you serve me. And if you don't serve me, then the devil has created all these other choices for you to think that you have, but you really don't. They're just him. You say, I don't need any of this. I'm just going to be on my own. Well, guess what? That's a choice to him. That's his choice. And he's loving that you would say, I'm just going to do this thing myself. I don't need this whole Christianity thing. He loves to hear you say that. He's the only God that's left. You know what Jesus does not include when he makes his judgments about who we are and who we are not? He does not include nationality. He does not include ethnicity. He does not even include religious affiliation, so to speak, because all of these things are prevalent, and they got good stock. They're Jewish. There's no more chosen than that, right? You know, black people and white people, we can fight and debate over whether or not, you know, we're the chosen people and all that kind of stuff, whether whether we're the greatest. There's no more chosen than Jewish. No more. And Jesus is like, yeah, okay, so what? So what? Father of Abraham, that's your lineage? Nope, not not good enough. Not going to get you in. What you think that you're, because you're black, you're special, not going to get you in. You think you're white because you're not going to get you in. That's not what it means to walk with me. You think you're American? Nope, not going to get you in. Just because you're America, you are not special. That's not going to commend you back to God. It's me that's going to commend you back to God. It's embracing me. It's loving me. It's receiving me that's going embr- to bring you to God. Religious affiliation, 
These people, they, they received the first five books of the Bible. They received the Torah. They had the prophets. They had the Psalms. They had all of the books and the writings. They said, listen, who, who do you think you are? We weren't born out of sexual immorality like you. That's, that's, what they're kind of, that's what they're saying because, of course, Jesus was born to a virgin. So some people speculated that Jesus was actually born not to a virgin, but he was born as a product of promiscuity. And so they're saying, you don't even know who your father is. God is ours. Abraham is ours. But he says, listen, neither one is true. You don't just simply align yourself and say, well, my mama went to church and I've been to church all my life, and so that makes me good. Being to church all your life isn't good enough. To be honest with you, it's way simpler than that. It's trusting in him. It's embracing him as Lord. It's receiving him is laying down your life to him. That's what commends you back to God. And so who are we? Wrapping up, who are we? Who are you? If you say I'm a person that has, I'm a person that has relationship with God, then what do you build your case on? Do you build your case on the fact that, hey, yeah, you know, every once in a while I pray? Or do you build your case on, well, I just know. I just know it, right? Just feel it. What are you building your case on? This is what I ask you to build your case on. Build your case on the only sure foundation that we have. Build your case on Jesus Christ. Build your case on embracing him as Lord and as Savior Build your case on asking Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Build your case on pursuing his will outside of your own, outside of the cultures, and outside of, outside of anybody else who would dare try to speak ahead of him. Build your case on embracing him. Let's pray. God, we love you and thank you, and we give you all the praise and glory and honor for your love towards us, for your, for your word. We pray, Father, that, that, Lord God, we would not look to simplistic associations, that we would not look to uh, simplistic understandings and just simply say, because I believe it, it must be. But, Father, that we would realize, Lord God, that there are eternal truths that you have shared with us. And that the reason that Christ came was to give us those eternal truths and to prove those eternal truths valid by signs and wonders and ultimately by dying on a cross and then resurrecting for all the world to witness, to let the world know that this is a truth that we can hang our lives upon. So, Father, I pray that if there is anyone in this room who has yet to embrace that truth, that they would embrace it today. These things we ask and we pray in your son Christ's name. Amen. This message was brought to you by the family and friends of City Light Church. For church worship times, directions, support opportunities, or other ministry information, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org.